All right, good morning. Glad you are all here today. I think that's the third time I've said that today, and I meant it every single time. All right, glad you're here. It is a big day for us, a big day. This uh, Today is, in some ways, the culmination of work that has been happening for years and years in our church. Uh, when we first started this church, our goal was not only to build a church family together, but to build a church family that would do something very specific in our community, and that is to equip families to honor God in all of their relationships. And so we not only want to do that here with this group, but we want to do it outside of here to our entire community, because we believe that makes such a substantial difference in our life when we learn how to relate to each other the way that God intended for us to. And so that's what we're doing through the Family Center, and the Family Center launches officially today. (laughs) All right, we're excited. It's been five years plus in the making, and so thank you so much. Thank you for your dedication and your commitment that is making this possible. When we first started, we knew, uh, we started the church even, and we started thinking about the Family Center, we knew that we were going to need as many hands on deck as we could get in order to make it happen, to teach, to lead, to do all of this, to facilitate, to support, all this kind of stuff. And we wanted to make sure that we did this in a way that was going to show the people in our community that we love them, we care for them, that we're here for them, and that we're not going anywhere. And so it was really important that we built a, re- a strong foundation on which the Family Center would sit, which is why we took so many years to build our church family, which was part of building the foundation for the Family Center. It's really important when we look at something like this, what we're about to do in our community, that people who come and experience the Family Center and experience our church through the Family Center and experience God and His love through the Family Center, That when they walk in the doors, when they come to a class, when they sit down with a coach, when they join a group, that they would know that this is a place and people that they can trust. People that love them and are committed to them and will invest in them and will stay with them. It's one of the reasons that this idea of commitment, it's one of the reasons we've done the Family Center the way we did because if we, if we wanted to, we could have started off when the church first started. We could have gotten the church up and going. We could have started doing a class here or there. We could have found a volunteer leader to lead it. But the problem is when you do things that way, oftentimes things lose steam. They fizzle out. They, people get burnout or they get frustrated or there aren't the resources needed in order to support it. And we said that we don't want to do it that way. When we launch the Family Center, we want to make sure that we have somebody who has dedicated full-time their life to this thing. And that's why we waited until we could afford with our regular offerings with the church, your regular giving that you you give uh, to the church. We waited until we had enough, we had a pattern of offerings high enough to support bringing a full-time staff person on to run the Family Center. And so that's what we did. And we were able to hire Amy Prater to be the director for our Family Center full-time. And we said, when we do this, we want to make sure that we have a place for this, a home for this, and a place that we are going to invest some money into and some effort into. And so we signed the lease on a space. If you haven't, we had the open house this past week, but if you haven't been there, um, it is over kind of near Chick-fil-A, behind Burger King, Chick-fil-A over here on Inner Street. 
um, in an office building there. And when we built it out, we said, we're not going to do like used furniture, try to grab from here or grab from there. We're going to buy all new stuff. We're going to design the thing. We're going to have, you know, the the decorations on the wall. We're going to paint everything. We're going to make it look really good. And the reason that we did that is because when somebody walks into the family center, we want them to walk in and to see that we have invested in them. That, because it's not just an investment in a building, that's an investment in the people who walk in. And when they walk in, they say, these people take this seriously. They care. And, and by association, they care about me. And that's their first impression. They walk in the door, but then they meet somebody who's teaching, somebody who's facilitating, somebody who's hosting, somebody who's doing child care. And then in your eyes and out of your mouth and out of your heart, they see that you love them and you care for them. We want people to walk in to become a part of this ministry and see that we are here for them, that we're committed to them. Commitment is incredibly important in any relationship that we have. And there are some people who are going to walk in the doors of the family center and participate in those ministries that they don't have anybody in their entire life who's committed to them. Anybody who loves them in an unconditional way. And so they might walk in and find that the only place in their life where they have that kind of stability and that kind of confidence. And that's what commitment does. Commitment creates confidence. It creates stability. And it is essential to the ministry that we are doing. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the six core values we have for our church. It's the reason that we're doing the family center in the way that we are. And in all of our relationships, whether that's your spouse or your kids or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friends at school or your siblings or your aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, teammates, uh, coworkers, whoever it may be, commitment is one of the pillars of a healthy relationship and a relationship that brings honor to God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We need to be committed committed to these relationships. And the reality is we are all committed to something. We commit our lives to something or someone. We just have to make the choice on what that's going to be. I heard a story about a guy named Steve. Steve retired, and he no longer had to go to work, and he had spent his entire life working. Now he no longer go to work. He had to find something else to be committed to. And so he chose golf, right? It's a good choice. Jimmy says, no, it's not a good choice. (laughs) Bill says, yes, it's a good choice. All right. He chose golf, and he committed himself to golf. And so he did all of the things. He took golf lessons. He went and got all the gear. He watched all the training videos. He worked on his swing. He worked on his mechanics and his timing. He worked on his course management. He got all the right clothes and all the right shoes, all the things that you need to to play golf and look the part. He committed himself fully to golf, and he decided he was going to play golf every single day. And that's what he did. Every single day, Steve went out to the golf course and played golf. And he had a buddy, Dave, who would often play with him. And one day they decided to go out, and they went out and played golf. And on the fourth hole, which sat along the road, they got to the green, and they were about to make their putts, and all of a sudden a funeral procession came by. And Steve took off his hat, and he put it over his heart, and he stood there as the entire funeral procession went by. And Dave looked at him, and he said, Steve, that was such a beautiful sign of respect. And he said, seems only fitting. I was married to her for over 30 years. (laughs) You got to choose what you're committed to. That's the point. We actually, we were going to do a class at the Family Center for people with commitment issues, but uh, we didn't think they would show up. 
And so we decided not to do that. He's got a string of them today. Yeah, uh, you know, commitment, commitment in a relationship uh, is, I think, is a lot like, like the brakes on your car. You know, it's there and you trust it until one time it doesn't work. <laughs> and if you've ever been in a car where you hit the brakes and it didn't stop, whether that's because something was wrong with the brakes or like me and you grew up in western New York and the roads are icy and you hit the brakes and the car just kept on going, is one of the most helpless feelings you've ever had in your entire life. And all of a sudden, you begin to wonder if you can actually trust those brakes. So now, every time you hit that pedal, you're not sure if that car is going to stop anymore. That's what commitment is like in a relationship. When you commit to someone and it's there, you trust it. You trust them. You trust that they're going to be there. You trust that they're not going to go anywhere. But the first time that that commitment gets broken, the first time they do leave, the first time they, in a marriage, the first time they use the divorce word, the first time you put one foot out the door, now the other person is always wondering when you're actually going to walk out. Commitment is that important in a relationship. It is one of the pillars of a relationship. It's where our security, our confidence, and our trust comes from. And it is vitally important if we're thinking about our relationships as we're, we're, we're talking about how we're going to do this through the family center, how we need to be thinking about relationships in our own lives, is that we're running these, these understandings through our relationship with God. And so I want to talk about the commitment that relationship that we have with God. And when we understand the commitment relationship that we have with God, it's going to help us to understand the commitments that we need to be and should be making with each other. It's vitally, vitally important. And I want to talk first about the commitment that God has made to us. That's first and foremost. Right, I want to read you a passage that may be very familiar to you. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 3. It's actually just one verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Sorry, I said 3. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. Now, this is being said to the nation of, of Israel. Okay, but and, he, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So God would not leave them and he would not forsake them. And I find this so fascinating. These two words, leave and forsake, are very intentionally chosen. We've talked about this before if you've been around for a while. Um, But leave and forsake were very intentionally chosen words. They always are in Scripture. But the word that was used here to leave means to sink or fall away, or slip away. It is, it is an unintentional or unconscious leaving. It's a taking for granted or just sort of fading into the distance. The word forsake means to leave, depart, or abandon. It is an intentional and a conscious choice to leave. And so I've used this phrase before. This might sound familiar to, to some of you. Um, God is saying that I will neither slip away nor will I step away, not consciously or unconsciously. I am here. I am committed to you. And how incredible for them, the nation of Israel, that the God of the universe would look at them and would say, I'm committed to you. Let that sink in for just a second. I think we sort of talked about this last week too. How unbelievable that God would commit himself to them. And it is vital for us to understand the same thing. 
You hear what's going on downstairs, by the way? Can you hear that coming up the stairs? Okay. <laughs> we have a bunch of kids under the stage, all right? And we usually don't hear them, but they, we've gotten so big, we're having to utilize our space creatively. They had to move them kind of over by the stairwell over here. So I hear them coming up. Somebody's shouting. Is that AJ? Carlton. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. Carlton's down there shouting. Sorry, I got distracted. I heard that's so great. I just, I love hearing them, you know, because we're in here and we're doing what we're doing and this is fantastic, but then to always to, to have those little moments where you remember what's happening around other parts of the building and how the kids are learning and growing and it's pretty great. So I don't know where I was. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I got distracted. Um, uh, uh, it's vitally important. So we, we look at the um, relation, the commitment that God made to them, that, he, that God had a covenant with the nation of Israel. He had an agreement with them. And likewise, God has made an agreement with us. He's made a covenant with us, and it's come through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus' death and his resurrection, that he paid for our sin on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day in power. And he's, he's promised us, he's made a deal with us, that if we put our faith in Jesus and accept him, accept salvation through him, then we are forgiven, we are free, and we are his child. We're saved. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then just like God said to the nation of Israel, if we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, then just like them, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. He will never cast us off. There is nothing that we can do that would be so bad that we would fall out of God's grace. God's grace is secure. God's commitment to you is reliable. When he says that he will forgive you if you put your faith in Jesus, he will. If he says that he will save you, he will. He is committed to you. Let that sink in for a minute. That the God of the universe has made a commitment to me. How humbling is that? How incredible is that? He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But on the flip side of that, relationships require two commitments, don't they? So God is committed to me, and if I, put, I have put my faith in him, I hope that you have too, put your faith in him for salvation, he will save us. He is committed to us. But now, if I want to be in a healthy, vibrant, growing, loving, peaceful, joyful relationship with him, it's up to me to make a commitment to him. It's up to me to say, I'm here with you. I know you're here with me. I'm here with you, and I'm going to chase after you. And I will neither slip away, nor will I step away. I am here for you and with you. Not for what he does for us, not for the benefits of being a child of God, not for the, the joy or the peace or any of that, but simply I'm going to make a commitment to you, God, because of who you are. And that's it. And who you are is better than anything else. And what you want is better than anything else. And so I put myself 100% in your hands. That's the commitment he's looking for from us. 
I think this is really well illustrated uh, and explained by Jesus in one of what I think is one of the, the funnier uh, spots in, in Scripture or more interesting stories. And I talk about, I think I've, I talk about this one probably too much, but we're just going to do it again. And you'll probably hear it again. All right. We find it in John chapter six. So if you want to turn there, we're going to read some, a, a bit here. So if you want to turn to John chapter six, I'll kind of set things up as you're getting there. Um, Jesus is sort of in the middle-ish of his ministry. He does about three years of ministry before the cross, and uh, or at least public ministry. And he's about, and he's in the middle, and he's really starting, his ministry starting to gain a lot of traction. Uh, and so there's a bunch of people that have come to listen to Jesus. They're out in the open in a field. And they're listening to Jesus teach, and it's incredible. There's about 5,000 people there plus, who knows, you know, it might be exactly 5,000. They might be doing pastor math. It might be a little less than that. You know, we love to expand those numbers. Um, uh, it's probably more than that because they, they likely wouldn't have counted women and children. So uh, thousands of people, that's the point, are listening to Jesus teach. And it's getting later and later. They've lost track of the time because he is such an incredible teacher. They've lost track of time. And it's getting to dinner time, and nobody has any food. And they can't send everybody back to town. It's too late. That's not going to work. And Jesus says, don't worry. I got this under control. So they find a little boy that has a little packed lunch of some fish and some bread. And Jesus takes it and he blesses it and then he multiplies it. And there ends up being enough food for everyone there with more food left over than they started with. It's one of the most unbelievable things that's ever happened in the history of the world. Jesus feeds over 5,000 people miraculously. And you can imagine as much as, as amazing as that sounds to us, how blown away they were in the moment. Like, how is this even happening? People are probably looking in the baskets, like, how, how is this working? You know, what, what are the physics of this? They're trying to figure out how, where is it, is it multiplying in the basket? Or where, you know, where is it happening? They must have been absolutely incredible. They were, of course, blown away. John chapter 6, verse 14, said, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Like, this has to be of God. This is amazing. They're, they're absolutely blown away. So they, they eat. Everybody's full. And uh, it's getting toward evening time. And Jesus decides he's going to go up on a mountain to pray, which he often did. I always think this is important to point out. Oftentimes when Jesus was garnering a lot of attention, he would leave. And he would go somewhere quiet to pray. When things were hectic, he would go get some one-on-one some -on -one time with his father. It's an important thing, lesson for us to learn. But Jesus, it says here that Jesus perceived they were about to make him king. And it wasn't time for that yet. And so he bails, slides out the back door. And he goes up on the mountain to pray. His disciples get into a boat, and they begin to cross the, the sea, the Sea of Galilee. They get into a boat, and uh, as they're going across, a huge storm uh, whips up out on the lake. And uh, they're caught in the middle of the storm, and they don't know what to do. And in the middle of the storm, all of a sudden, Jesus, who was up on the mountain praying, is walking to them on the water. Have you heard of Jesus walking on the water? This is one of the places that's recorded. Jesus walks to them on the water. And that's a whole thing, and we're not going to get into it today. All right, but he gets into the boat. They end up on the other side of the lake. Morning comes, and suddenly this huge crowd of people that were listening to Jesus the day before and who he had just miraculously fed wake up, start looking around, and they realize that Jesus and the disciples are nowhere to be found. And they want to find them. 
And so that's what they do. They track them down. I don't know if they got in boats and went across or if they went around. It's, it's called the, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of a sea, but it's kind of a lake. It's not as big as other, other seas. Um, it's, I've been there. It's pretty incredible, but um, it's not that large. So anyway, they find their way to Jesus. That's where we're going to pick up uh, John chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to read a good bit here, all right, starting in 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, if we can pause for a second. Uh, translation here, a little, little code translation. What Jesus is saying is, you, you chased me around the lake, Okay. You got in a boat, maybe you swam, I don't know. You, you came and found me. You, you went out of your way to track me down. And it's not because of who I am. You're here because you want brunch. Right? Listen, you know it's true. If you feed them, they will come. You want people to come to anything, just offer food. Tell them there's going to be Chick-fil-A there. You tell them there's going to be Chick-fil-A, people show up, you know, Jesus is like, you're not here for me. You're here for what I can do for you. You're here for breakfast. And we don't do bacon. You know, sorry. Verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because, the God, the, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Uh, if I can translate. Now, there's some debate about what exactly this means. I think what they're asking is, how do we call, how do we get the food? All right, so just tell, okay, you won't do it, I get it, but just tell us how we could do it. That would be great. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's what you need to do to believe in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So pause again for a second. Thick skulls, okay, happening here. And so they say to him, oh, okay, so we need to believe in you. Well, prove to us that you are the one he sent. He sent food for Moses in the desert, so you, why don't you send us some food right now? I mean, they are, these people are fixated. That's all they can think about is what they're going to eat. And, so, and it's like, did he not prove it enough the day before? When he fed 5,000 people, now you need it again? What are you waiting for? What is it going to take for you to believe in him? What is it going to take? How how many meals is he going to have to feed before you finally believe that Jesus is who he said he is? And I think this is a real challenge to us because we often expect so much from God. We expect him to do so many things for us, to perform miracles in our life and to provide for us and to change things and to do all of this stuff. And it's like he has done so much for us. How much more does he have to do? For us to believe in him, once should be enough. 
But we keep, we're hungry, and those stomachs keep getting empty, and we keep looking for them to be filled. And they're never filled, they're never satisfied, as long as we're looking for the bread that comes from earth. All right, where were we? Then Jesus said, and this is verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. That's a commitment to us. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so Jesus says, if you want to be full, then you need to believe in me. You need to commit to me, not what I can do for you, to commit to me for who I am because I am the one who's come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Now that naturally in the group that they were in garnered a little bit of pushback, quite a bit in fact. The Jews that were with him, this is verses 41 through 56, the Jews push back on him and basically say, who do you think you are? You can't say that because they don't believe. And then verse 57 through 65, he gets pushed back from his disciples, not the 12, but the larger group of disciples that were with him, the people that were actively following him in his ministry. And they're saying, who do you, you can't say this. But he digs into it. And then in John chapter 6, verse 66, feels like they should have skipped that number like the 13th floor in a building. I don't know why we have a chapter 6, verse 66, but nevertheless, uh, it's interesting what is contained in this verse, I think. It's coincidental, of course, but John chapter 6, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So he's, basically, Jesus says, you're either here for me or you're not here. If you're just here for the meal, go home. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) And I think some of us, there are times in my life where I feel like Jesus looks at me and he says the same thing. You keep asking me for something and your faith in me or your trust in me is based on what I'm going to do for you. You're either here for me or don't be here at all. And he will never leave me or forsake me. It's not that. But he's saying, if you're not committed to me, then our relationship is... Like, it's just, it's, it's disrupted, okay? My salvation is sure, but my relationship with him at times is like nothing. And it's because I'm just expecting him to do, 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 give, 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 give. And I've forgotten that I'm in a relationship with him so that I can love him for who he is. 
So Jesus, he runs them off. There aren't many leaders that are secure enough to run people off for good reasons. <laughs> All right. Many of them went back and walked no more. Verse 37, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? What are you here for? Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Man, so incredible. Peter says, Jesus, we're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you as the bread of life, not for a meal. Unbelievable. He said, where else will we go? Where else would we go that would be better? Who else could we follow? Who would be better? The answer is none. He is best. They believed in him, and so they're going to stick with him. They knew that God was committed to them, and they said, we are committing to you. What could be better? (laughs) Man, I mean, we're having fun up here, but I don't know if it's that kind of fun, you know. (laughs) Having a good time. I like it. That's at the heart. <laughs> oh, now we got the giggles. All right. It's, it, is at, it is at the heart of commitment. The heart of commitment. Trust and confidence. I believe that he is the best option, and so I don't have to keep my other options open. I believe that he will love me like no one else will love me, and so I don't have to forsake him for anyone else. This is what commitment looks like. Sometimes we play the field. Like God is one option that might get us the things that we want. And so I'll chase after him, but only chase after him to the end of getting what I ultimately want but I'm going to keep my options open and chase after some other things too on the chance that they'll give me what I'm looking for. But commitment is to say, God, you are the option. You are the path. You are the way, Jesus. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the bread of life. And so I'm chasing after you, and that's it. It's to choose to say, I'm with you. And if you want to have a healthy, vibrant, growing relationship with God, then that's the commitment to make and to be confident and sure of it. Now, if we take that, that level of commitment, and now we look at the relationships that he has given to us, the relationships that he's entrusted to us and placed in our life and in our hands, we need to ask then the same question, am I committed to these relationships the same way that I'm committed to him? Am I committed to these relationships the same way he's committed to me? Or am I keeping my options open? Or am I chasing after other things? Am I committed? Have I said I am in with both feet and I don't have one foot out the door? I'm in this thing. I'm committed. It's essential to a healthy relationship that honors God. There's power in commitment. Commitment is very scary, though, I understand. Commitment is scary because it's a risk. 
It's making yourself vulnerable. It's opening yourself up for the other person not to follow through on their commitment and to get hurt. But let me tell you, it is a risk worth taking. God was willing to take that risk with us. He was willing to give his son. Jesus was willing to give his life knowing that many, many, many people would reject it, would would turn away. Would return it, not even with indifference, but with hate. Yet he was still willing to make the commitment to us. Commitment is scary. I don't know how, but I was thinking, if I could, if I could figure out how to make a commitment costume, it'd be the scariest costume at Halloween. I mean, you go out on the streets, people would run from you. I don't know what that, if you think of it, I might wear it for Halloween. If you can think of a costume that would represent commitment, I will wear it at Halloween. We'll figure it out, okay? It's scary. Because your fear is, well, what if I lock into this person and there's something better out there? Or what if I lock into this relationship and something goes wrong? Well, A, something will go wrong. (laughs) Welcome to relationships. But a commitment is saying, I believe that this person, that the relationship that I have with this person is the right path for me, is the best path with me. I remember before Jess and I got married, you know, I was, you know, I was probably, uh, I don't know the right way to say this. Um, Don't. (laughs) This is is what I figured. This is is what I figured. Because the the, the, commitment fear twinge came up, as it does with everybody. Because you you start dating and you fall in love and you get engaged, whatever the process looks like. But, you know, you you, you fall in love and you're like, oh, I want to get married, I want to get married. And then you start, you know, you propose and she says yes, maybe. And then, uh, then, like, I did it and uh, move on, it doesn't matter. Okay, so you propose... They say yes, and uh, you're so excited, and everybody's so excited, and you start playing in the wedding, and you do it, and you're all so excited. And then uh, about a week before the wedding, all of a sudden you realize that what this actually means, if you go through with this, and that cart's like way too far down the road to say you're not going to do it at this point. So now you're faced with this thing where you're like, okay, I'm like locked into this thing already, even though I haven't said I do, but uh, the rest of my life? I, don't, I mean, I don't even know what the rest of my life is going to be like. I don't I don't know who I'm going to be in 20 years. I don't know who I'm going to be in 30 years. I don't know what's going to happen. How can I say that I'm going to marry this person and be with this person the rest of my life when I don't know what the rest of my life even looks like or what theirs does? And I remember so clearly what settled over me was I don't know what the rest of my life looks like, but I would rather do it with her with me than on my own. Because Not because of what she does for me, even though my life wouldn't even work if she wasn't around. Not because of what she does for me, but because of who she is. So if we could look at the relationships in our life and say, I love you for who you are, for you as a person, as a soul, not for what you do for me. I'm committed to be here for you because I love you and because I have chosen you. Then that commitment will carry us through. It can carry us through when we don't like each other which happens, by the way, or we don't like what someone else does or when we're irritated or when things don't go right or when we disagree because that, that, that singular love that sits at a soul level is deeper 
than any behavior or advantage or anything else. So to say, as for me, I will dedicate myself. Our tendency when we think about commitment is to think about what we're giving up, and we shouldn't be thinking about what we're giving up. What we're giving up will pale in comparison to what we gain in a relationship with someone that is based on love and commitment. We focus too much on what we're giving up. It's like, uh, it's like the chicken and the pig that <laughs> just look at me like, don't do it. No, it's, like the, it's like the chicken and the pig that decided they were going to own a restaurant together. They sat down to decide what they were going to put on the menu. And the chicken said, how about eggs and bacon? And the pig said, easy for you to say. This require very two different levels of commitment. <laughs> right? It can be scary because you think about what you're giving up. Don't think about what you're giving up. Don't think about what you're giving up. What you gain is far more. You think about your, if we step back and we think about our relationship with God again, People worry that if they accept Christ, if they, if they decide that they're going to follow Jesus and they're going to commit their life to God, they're afraid of what they're going to lose. <laughs> I can promise you, what you gain is far, far more than what you will ever lose. Far, far more. It's worth it. It's worth it to make the commitment. Uh, the author of Hebrews kind of brings things around from where we started it's interesting, this is a section in Hebrews chapter 13. It looks like separate ideas, like little, little proverbs, and, and, and maybe they are intended to be separate ideas. But I don't think it's a coincidence that there's two here that come right with each other. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4, and then verse 5. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And then verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so the author says, you need to be content with what you have and not to look to the greener grass on the other side of the fence or to think that some other situation is better, which I think that connects perfectly with the issue of the marriage bed being undefiled because what leads us to do that? Looking and thinking there's something better out there. There's something different. And so what we need to do is we need to commit because for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you to commit because he has committed to us. And maybe you need to think today about the commitments that you have, whether that's in a marriage or whether that's the commitment that you have to your parents or the commitment you have to your children, the commitment you have to your siblings or extended relatives, the commitment you have to the people that you work with, people that you go to school with, the commitments that you have to people here in your church family. Do your commitments look like the commitment we've made to God? And as you think about maybe some changes or alterations there, deeper levels of that, think not about what you would lose by making that commitment, but focus on what you would gain. As we think about starting the family center today and people that come and are a part, sometimes there are going to be people that are in decent situations in their life, and sometimes they're going to be in their most desperate moments. And when they come in, when they experience us and experience God, they need to see a level of commitment and stability that they've never seen anywhere else before. 
commitment that creates a foundation on which they can begin to build these new things that they're learning and new things that they're doing and the commitments that they're making. And so I want to I want to pre-thank you for the commitments that you're going to make, the commitments you're going to make in your families to strengthen your families and in your relationships to strengthen your relationships, to build healthy relationships that bring honor and glory to God, making a commitment for yourself saying, as for me, I will serve God in all of these relationships. And the impact, I want to thank you for the impact that that's not only going to have in in your own life and your commitment there, but the, the difference it's going to make in people's lives as you allow that to flow out and through the ministry of this church. It really is going to make all the difference in people's lives. In this series, we have talked about that individual commitment. As for me, here are the things that I will do. And I want to encourage you, you know, we, we do series and we focus on something for a week or for a couple of weeks or for a few weeks. I want to encourage you to think about today or think about the other teachings that we've done in this series. And I want you to pick out a few things and find ways to put reminders in front of yourself of that commitment that you've made. Otherwise, you will slip away from these things, just like we all do. But to say, I will neither slip away, nor will I step away. And so maybe there are reminders, there are things that need to be put in place or conversation that need to be overtly had between you and someone else to say, as for me or as for us, we will do these things. I will do these things. And to stand on those commitments, not only today, but a week from now, a month from now, 10 years from now. And to say, I'm making the decision, we are making the decision that our relationship, my relationships, will bring honor and glory to God. And that's the most important thing. And then if you have decisions that you need to make in line with that in your relationship with God, that you would make those decisions and set up reminders and uh, mile markers and other things that you need in your life to remember to love God in the way that he wants you to love him to serve him the way he wants you to serve him. Maybe there's a new level of a relationship with God that you need to step into today. Maybe you need to step into a relationship with God today. Maybe you need to, maybe you accepted salvation a long time ago, but you would say, "I I haven't been pursuing or following Jesus in my life. And today I'm gonna make the decision to begin following him and being faithful to him. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You've never trusted him. And today is the day to do that. No reason to wait. What more does he have to do? He sent his son to give his life on the cross for you. He rose again on the third day. And if you trust him for salvation, he will save you right now. And so whatever commitment that you have to make today, whatever step you are on that path, let's confidently make it together and declare, as for me, as for me, I will serve the Lord. Let's pray to him. And as we pray, use this as a time to make the commitment to him that you need to make to him right now. Father, we come to you and we want you to know how much we love you and are absolutely amazed 
amazed and humbled by the fact that you love us. You created us. And even though we failed and turned our back on you, even though we sinned, you still committed to us, made a way for us to become your children. You sent your son, your one and only begotten son, We thank you for that sacrifice, that gift. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you came and that you taught us and you set an example and you showed us, you told us, don't be so concerned with being fed physically. You told us to be concerned with being fed spiritually and that you are the way that happens. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave, willingly gave your life on the cross for us, the greatest love that could ever be displayed. You died for us, taking our place, taking our sin on yourself. We thank you for that sacrifice, that level of commitment for us. A level that we could never adequately repay to you. We thank you for your power displayed in the resurrection. Rising again to life on the third day. Coming back and proving that, not, that death could not hold you down. Sin could not hold you down. And that if you can be resurrected, we can be resurrected. That if you have life, we have life in you. Father, I thank you right now for the commitment that you have shown to us, the commitment that you've made, that if we put our faith in your son for salvation, which some people might do for the first time today, if we put our faith in you for salvation, you save us. You are committed to us. You sacrificed for us. We can be confident in it. We can be sure of it. We can stand on it. We can walk on it. And God, because of the commitment that you have made to us, we sit here right now in your presence and want you to know we want to be as committed to you as we can possibly be. Not for what you're going to do for us, not for so you can fix this or fix that or change this or change that. Even though you may do those things, and we'll give you glory when you do, but we are committed to you for who you are. We are committed to you for who you are. You are the God of the universe and you are good and you are loving and you are wise and you are kind and you are patient. And so we commit ourselves to you. To trust you, to walk with you, to listen to you. And as we do that, God, we know that you are going to lead us and you're going to lead us in our life. You've given us each other. You've given us relationships. You've given us people to love. You've given us people to serve. And so, God, we want to to engage in those relationships with the same kind of purity and love and sacrifice and commitment that we walk with you. And so help us to see where in our relationships what kind of commitment is required of us. That'll be different between relationships. But 
What kind of commitment is required of us? What you're looking for from us in those relationships? And whether we're embracing that level of commitment. Whether we're being faithful to follow through or whether we're, we're, we're expecting other things around us in our life to fill those needs or those desires or the, that connection that you've designed for us in the relationship you've given to us. That, that you would inspire within us the boldness to make those commitments, whether that's internal or whether that's verbal. A conversation with someone about our relationship and what it looks like and what our goals are and whether we're trying to honor you, changes it may mean in our life may mean releasing some commitments that we know are not honoring to you. And God, we're looking for your direction in this. So speak to us, guide us. As we open our Bibles this week, as we read, as we study your word on our own, through this power and leadership of the Spirit, guide us as we pray and spend time with you this week. Listen to you. Speak to us. Show us how you want us to take this and, and use it, whether it's in our family or whether it's at our work or school, somewhere in our community, in our church, through the family center, whatever it is. Show us how you want us to be committed to each other as we commit ourselves to you. God, we take all of this and continue, ask you to continue to speak to us and lead us and guide us. As we offer our commitment to you, you are our God, you are our Father. Jesus, you are our bread, you are our King. Spirit, you are our leader, you are our guide, you are our counselor and our comforter. And we want to walk as closely with you as we possibly can so that we can walk as closely as we can with each other. So all of this we give to you as we commit ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.